it's, it, so it's not uncommon to find myself in situations where I feel pressure to um, pretend or perform. Let me give you an example. Uh, anytime I visit the ignition shop and I try to work on cars, like it's obvious I have no idea what I'm doing, uh, but I want to look the part, and so I, I, you know, I rub grease on my, myself so I look like I've been working. And uh, I, <laughs> the first time we were out there, Casey Welty, who uh, mechanic who kind of oversees uh, the mechanical aspect of it, I made the comment, I really don't know what I'm doing, and he said, yeah, I got that. <laughs> um, some, there's a, a rancher, a ranching family in this church, and they, they allow me to go and play cowboy at their ranch from time to time. And, and the first time that happened, I uh, found out I was going to be able to do it. I was going to be on horseback. Like, this is, like, my bucket list item. And so, like, jeans and boots, like, that's normal for me. But wearing the cowboy hat, there's something about that, that I just don't feel like I've quite earned that right or privilege yet. And so I, when I put it on, it just, I felt like, like, oh, like I'm, uh, but I did it. I went, uh, and I looked the part to the best of my ability. Like, and I'm sure in my head I looked different than I actually was uh, as I was trying to hang on to the horse. Um, but uh, I'll never forget, we were up on the mountain uh, moving the cows to the summer pasture, and it's tourist season, and there were people that were stopping on the highway to take pictures. And I, I just, I chuckled, right? Like, the, here they are taking pictures of what they believe is a real Wyoming cowboy. <laughs> Little do they know, it was me. Uh, but, you know, I, I had the stoic, you know, face, like, looking. It, anyway, um, pretending, performing. Of, of all the places that I have felt pressure to pretend or be something that I'm not, the place where it's been most prevalent in my life and the place where I have felt the most pressure has been church. Has been with believers. Growing up, I, um, <laughs> no matter how bad we were before we walked into church, you better believe we had our act together when we walked in. Early on in Courtney and I's marriage, I, I remember some of our, our, Worst arguments and fights, they always happen on Sunday morning, and, and, but man, when we walk through the doors of that church, we look the part. There have been Sundays, even in ministry, where uh, I, I have been just a shell and broken, and, um, but, but man, I, I do my best to put on a smile and, and appear to be put together. Pretend. And I don't think that I'm alone. In fact, I, I know that I'm not alone. And as we talk through this idea of what is it beyond the empty tomb that we can expect, like, like what is ex expected of us, what, what do we have, what do we not have, all of the things. And, and I just had a moment with the Lord this week where he, he told me, stop pretending. Stop pretending. Stop trying to be what you are not. Stop trying to be what you have not allowed me to make you to be. If you're bro broken, be broken. If you're hurt, be hurt. If you're angry, be angry. And, and you know what? If you're good, be good. But don't pretend. 
we put pressure on ourselves as a church. To appear as if we have everything put together. Now, we say the right things. We say it's okay to not be okay. You hear us say that. And, and we mean it. We really do with our hearts. But I'm not entirely sure we figure out how to live that. What does it look like if we stopped pretending? What does it look like if we stopped performing? What does it look like if, if we simply were just who we are, where we were at that given time? So if the tomb is empty, we don't have to pretend. And so I jumped in scripture this week um, after I kind of had this moment. And this is, like I said, last week, this has been one of those series where uh, we typically have a pretty specific roadmap on where to go. This is one of the, uh, the times, few times where I feel like it's been like, okay, what is the Lord saying to you this week? And we're going to go that direction, which is equal parts terrifying and exciting uh, because you, I just feel like it's not as rehearsed and as polished. It's just genuine and real. Um, I get practicing what we preach, I guess. And so I jumped in scripture, and, and I, we talked about Peter last week on, on how he, he was one way before the resurrection than he was after. We see him before the resurrection, and he's denying Christ. He's, he's crumbling in fear. After the resurrection, as the early church is being established, he's standing up in front of the very people who arrested Jesus, and he was defiantly proclaiming the gospel he was good. He was different. But there's something that happens in between that I believe gave Peter the confidence to be different. That gave Peter the ability to be who God was calling him to be. So the reality is, is the moment he betrayed Jesus, the decision to say, I, I, I didn't deny Jesus, I, I didn't know him, uh, shame had to have crept in. And he had to reconcile that. And he has this, this meeting with Jesus after the resurrection where Jesus addresses this. And so if you have your Bibles, open them up to John chapter 21. I do, uh, we do have the YouVersion Bible app up this morning, so if you want to pull up your phones and go to Ignite Westland, you can follow along there as well. But John chapter 21, and we're going to begin in verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. Verse 3. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. And so they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So Peter's life has, has come full circle. Jesus calls him out of a fishing boat and says, hey, come with me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. They go through the ministry. Jesus pours into them. He teaches them. They see the miracles. And now he finds himself where he's right back where he started. I don't want to infer too much, but you have to think just thoughts of failure, regret, remorse, certainly uncertainty. Or swirling around in Peter's mind. Verse 4, early in, that early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. 
Verse 5, he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net because of a large number of fish. Verse 7, then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. So Peter here, again, he's a guy that leads with his heart. Right? As soon as he reconciles or realizes it's Jesus, like he, he's gone, he's not going to wait. He jumps out and he swims to shore to meet Jesus. Verse 8, the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals, and there were fish on it, and some bread. Now I'm going to stop here for a second. This is significant. So I, I am not a Greek scholar. I don't claim to be a Greek scholar. In fact, anytime I, I dive into trying to understand the Greek, I feel like I create more trouble for myself than um, if I didn't. But there was a moment uh, as I was studying this week, I was reading a commentary, and, and someone much smarter than me pointed out that this phrase, fire of burning coals, was only mentioned one other time in the Gospels. One other time was that word, that the phrase, fire made of coals, was used, and it was earlier in the book of John. Let me, let me show you here. John 18, 15 through 18. Simon Peter and the other disciple were following Jesus because this disciple was known to the high priest. He went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back and spoke to the servant girl on duty there and brought Peter in. Verse 17. You aren't one of this man's disciples, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire. There's the word they had made to keep warm. Peter was also standing with them, warming himself. The only other time that the word for fire, fire of burning coals, was used, it's, it's here when Peter denies Jesus, and later on when they're going to interact. There's going to be some reconciliation. I don't believe there are coincidences in God's word. I don't believe there are accidents. I believe this was very intentional by the author to, to let us know that I believe Peter knew exactly what he was walking into. The moment, like, like the, the excitement of, of seeing Jesus on the shore wore off and he stood up out of the water and he walks and he sees the fire and he sees Jesus, like the, the dots started connecting and he realizes, oh man, I'm gonna have to address this issue of me denying Christ. It would be like, uh, as a kid, if, if, <laughs> if your parents found something in your room that wasn't supposed to be in your room, and you come home, and the thing that they found in your room was sitting on the kitchen table, you knew you were about ready to get in trouble? Just me? Peter knew. He was in trouble. I, I, the, the shame that he was feeling was going to have to be addressed head on. The stage was set for Jesus and Peter to, to hash this out, to have some sort of interaction and dialogue to, to reconcile this. And if, and if I were Peter in this moment, I would have been afraid. Man, I would have been afraid. I, I would have been ashamed. I would have had a hard time looking Jesus in the eye. Just skip on down to verse 15, chapter 21 again. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, 
Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Now, now note what Jesus doesn't say here. He doesn't say, Simon Peter, do you love me? Then how could you? He doesn't say, Simon Peter, uh, do you love me? Then, like, I, I, how could you be so silly? Simon Peter, do you love me? I, 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 I'm ashamed of you and what you've done. Simon Peter, do you love me? I'm really disappointed in the decisions that you've made. He doesn't say that. He says, like, you love me? Well, then, then feed my lambs. And then again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now there's a ton of theological implications happening here in this text that, that we can go over sometime. But what I want you to note isn't so much what Jesus is saying, what he's not saying. He meets Peter in his place of shame and despair and his brokenness. And what does he do? He takes the shame that Peter was dealing with and he turns it into focus. He says, I, I, we're not going to worry about what has happened. I've reconciled that on the cross and through the empty tomb. What I need you to focus on, Peter, is who I'm calling you to be and where I'm calling you to go. We have a tendency, church, to carry around the shame in our life and to pretend like everything's okay. I, I, I think in part one, because we don't want to disappoint Jesus. We don't, we, 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 in my head, it's that, well, if I just keep it in, if I act the part, that, then maybe, maybe he will, I, he won't notice, which I know is silly. But I do it anyway. I pretend. Peter didn't have to pretend here. He didn't have to act like everything was okay. He didn't have to act like something didn't happen. Jesus met him in his place of shame, right where he was. And he replaced that with purpose, with, with direction. This interaction between Jesus and Peter, just it... it it simplifies the gospel in such a beautiful way that Peter was no longer going to be the sum of his past decisions and actions. Peter wasn't going to be defined on what he did. He wasn't going to be defined on the mistakes he made. He wasn't going to be defined by the baggage he carried. He wasn't going to be defined by the scars that he wore because of his failures. He was simply going to be defined by his love for Jesus and who Jesus was calling him to be. Jesus took the shame that he was carrying. He took it, he grabbed it, and he molded it, and he turned it into focus. Church, we, we're, we're so, so careful around each other we're so careful to look the part that sometimes I think we limit Jesus' ability to use the story in our life to build his kingdom. 
no one ever tells the testimony of this person was good, they were always good, and they were always happy. Isn't that awesome? I mean, it's awesome, but that's not the stories that move us. The stories that move us are the stories of Jesus taking someone from their very bottom when they were a shell of who they were, when they were just, just gravel, when they used to be a jewel. They were, they're just, they're, they're nothing, and he builds them back up. He says that you are not who you were or what you did. You are not the sum of your failures. You are mine. I love you. I died for you. I rose for you. That's what people are going to know you by. That's what's happening here in the text. And it's incredible. Peter doesn't have to fake it. He, he, he can be okay, and Jesus was okay with that. He didn't have to be perfect. He needed to be redeemed. He didn't need to appear as if nothing happened. He needed to be forgiven. He didn't need to feel the weight of his shame and feel like a failure. He simply needed a reminder that he was Jesus's. When we pretend, when we fake it, we attempt to present ourselves as the thing that we have not allowed Jesus to make us to be. We, we, we want to appear that we have things together. But the beauty of this relationship is that if we would just allow ourselves to be vulnerable with ourselves and with each other, th th then Jesus will eventually get us to the place that we desire to go anyway. Stop faking it. And so for me, it, it, so, so shame is, is a reason that I have found myself uh, pretending or faking or performing. But the other, the other thing that I have to wrestle with, and especially in today's culture, is this, this problem of comparison. So even if I can reconcile my own shame, what happens is, is I look around the room and I see people who really appear to have their lives together and I compare myself to them and I'm like, if they have their stuff together, then I probably should pretend like I have mine too. That's a dangerous game to play. We, we, we compare our insides to someone's outsides. And we set ourselves up for disappointment and failure every single time. As Jesus and Peter are having um, this conversation, this is why I think Peter is so relatable to me, because I feel like he would say the things or make the same mistakes that I would make. Like, they're having this conversation, and Jesus is trying to get him to focus on, like, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Go and be who I'm calling you to be. And in the very next breath, verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and he had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? Verse 21, when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? What are you going to do with him? What's your plan for him? He didn't deny you like I did. He didn't stumble like I did. He doesn't have the same obstacles that I have. He doesn't have the same scars and baggage that I have. What, what about him? And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is it to you? You must follow me. And so he, he takes, 
He takes the shame and he gives it purpose. And then, then he takes the comparison here with Peter and he gives him focus. Stop looking around at what's going on beside you, Peter. Stop looking behind you at the baggage that you're carrying. Stop it. Focus on me. Focus on who I'm calling you to be. Follow me. Love me. Serve me. Be who I'm calling you to be. And watch what I do with your life. <laughs> I, I, I love and hate social media. Um, I, I love that I can... <laughs> waste three hours watching short videos that make me laugh and memes. Uh, but I also, I hate the comparison that it's created for society probably more than, than ever, um, ever. We look at families, the pictures that, they just seem to have it all together. They have the right filter, the right lighting, everyone's smiling. And then you look at the rubble that's your life and you're just like, oh. and we compare. We compare. Jesus tells Peter, just focus on me. Watch what then I will do. What does it look like, church? I'm going to get vulnerable for a second. If we committed ourselves as a body, as individuals, but as a body, to, to simply not pretend, to be real with each other. Now, I get it. Like, we, we, we don't want to do our laundry in the street, so to speak, right? There are certain things that I don't want everybody to know about me, and you don't want me to know about you. I get that. But what if, what if when it comes to reconciling our shame, what if we, we truly not only said it's okay to, to not be okay, we say, you know what, I'm actually not okay. And I need help. What does it look like if we, we begin to, to lean on each other in small circles or in big kind of corporate worship and, and, we, and we truly live out and embody what I believe this is supposed to be? It was never supposed to be a performance where you guys come and you listen to music and you get your coffee and you hear a mediocre sermon and you go home. That's not what the Lord intended this to be. It was about doing life together. The good, the bad, the ugly. What does it look like if you bring your baggage here and instead of stuffing it in your pocket and hiding it, you lay it down at the altar and say, I don't know what else to do with it. I need help. What, what changes? When I, when I carry around my shame, when I compare myself to others, I feel, I, I feel the weight and it's debilitating. It's like wearing a weighted vest, and I was going to bring one as an illustration, but because I don't work out anymore, I have no idea where it is. Um, but I, like when you, when you wear the weighted vest, like you feel really good at first, and, and you, can, you can move, you can walk, you can jog, but over time, everything begins to hurt in a different way. Your knees hurt, your ankles hurt, your feet hurt, your back hurts, because you're carrying on extra weight that you were not supposed to carry. And the greatest part of working out with the weighted vest is when you, when you rip it off and you throw it down because you just feel like the weight of the world has been lifted off your back. Jesus, he said, come to me all who are tired or weary and burdened and I will give you rest. He says, take, 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's, that's not a, hey, if you follow me, everything's going to be okay, and you're always going to be perfect, and you're always going to have your stuff together, and you're always going to have joy and peace and happiness, and you're always going to feel great and be like on top of the world. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, though, like, if you follow me and you allow me to carry the weight of your shame and your burdens, it's going to be much easier if we do it together. What weight are you carrying, church? What are you allowing to slow you down? What's preventing you from pulling off the mask? What's keeping you from taking the weighted vest and, and laying it at the altar? What are you pretending to be? Peter said, said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. The implication is that Jesus already knows what you're feeling and what you're going through. So you might as well stop hiding it. And if you're willing, if you're willing to, to, to step up, to step forward, to kneel down, wherever it is, however it is you do it, and you, and, you, and you simply say, okay, I'm tired of pretending, I'm tired of performing, I'm not okay, watch what he does. Watch what happens if you, if you allow yourself to be vulnerable around your brothers and sisters in Christ. Watch how they walk alongside you. Watch how they love you when you expect them to judge you. Watch them hug you when you expect them to turn their back on you. Tomb is empty. Giving you permission. Not my by word by the word, to stop pretending. Let's pray.